we can go ahead and start. Yeah. So, if you're ready. Yeah, for sure. So I went first last time, right? Yeah, so I'll go first okay, this time. Okay, so you go first this time. Yeah, so still in quarantine. Yep, still in quarantine. How's that going? You know, it's it's going. I, I've just accidentally taken on way too much right now. Um, in true Jesse fashion, I said yes to everything, and now everything's yeah. taking place at once. So it's been a little crazy, but I'm still trying to make time to watch some good stuff and read some good stuff. There you go. Almost finished with the Hulu original series, The Great. Love okay. it. What's that about? Uh, it's about, well, about Catherine the Great. Oh, okay. But it's about her early marriage, and we'll see where it goes. Cool. How about you? What have you been up to? Uh, I don't know. It's been a rough week. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I'm just, uh, so I'm taking a, a break from Facebook. Okay, did you get in a fight with somebody? No, no, I, and I highly recommend taking as many breaks from social media as necessary. Yeah. Just every couple days there being a new case of police brutality or karen or, I just, I can't keep accidentally scrolling on actual videos of people dying. No, it's absolutely terrible. And I believe stepping away from social media when needed is just the purest form of self-care you can do because especially right now when we're living in a society that we're quarantined and we're dealing with a pandemic, something our generation has never had to deal with before, there's always new things coming out that'll give you anxiety and stress you out every single day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's too much and including, it's just, I feel like our society right now is completely disrupt. Oh Yeah. I'm not digging anything about it, so it's stressful. Yeah, well, and I don't know, because there's that that part of you that almost gets kind of, you know, hopeless, that it's like, okay, so we make it through this pandemic, awesome, and then we still have these really deep systemic issues, and... So what changes, you know? What's going to change? Is anything going to change, or is it just going to get worse? Yep. So, well, now that we've depressed our audience. But no, I just, I think it's important to talk about that kind of stuff that, you know, mental health is real and stepping back when you need to. And I no, mean, I absolutely agree. We, we talk about those heavy things. I'm about to do a murder story right now, but it's like censoring what you need to censor. I'm not a huge trigger warning person just because, you know, I think that everyone has a responsibility, but like maybe don't post things that are so graphic without some kind of content warning and and feel free to step out when you need to like hell if this isn't the podcast you should be listening to we'll still be here yeah we'll be okay we're still gonna be doing our weekly calls even if nobody listens go listen to my brother my brother and me and come back when you're ready to listen to some dark shit (laughs) (laughs) because yeah it's I don't know I I just think it's important to observe your mental health and find what works for you because I just I couldn't keep seeing it right now yeah I yeah so Speaking of some dark stuff, uh, I've got a little bit of a bone to pick with you. Okay, pick it. How come you live 
in a town that the army warns everybody is crazy haunted, and you've never mentioned that on the podcast? Ah, that's a really good question. So I live in Grafenbeer, Germany, which is um, one of the former sites of actually where the uh, Nazis trained, and then after World War II, um, it's now an American base, and so the the community has some heavy history to it, um, and a lot of the housing has some not-so-great stories related to it. Um, there's We actually have a Facebook group, and like I said, I'm kind of taking a break from social media, but when I'm back, that will be one of the first places I go. That's the hauntings of our little community because there are people who live, we live off post, but there is on post housing. And there's some pretty wild stories of the houses themselves. There's a lot of like, my husband's on duty. And so for the, the uninitiated non-military folk, A, God bless y'all. B, so duty is when you like overnight have to pull security and you go and drive around and check on the buildings and probably be really bored. So it's like, you know, my husband's on duty. I'm home alone with the baby and I hear boots upstairs. There's no man home. Like those stories pop up that is so frequently. Crazy. And you have yeah. never brought it up. How did I stumble upon that? You mentioned a Facebook group to me when we were doing our weekly paranormal show. Well, that's because someone posted, and I'm kind of talking with this person right now to see if she's cool with either, like, coming on the show or letting me tell her story, because she posted the most bananas actual, like, visual evidence I've seen in a fat minute, and I was like, Jesse, you have to see this, because I just- It was pretty crazy. I didn't think of it. I hope we can get her on. I do, too. I do, too, because, yeah, it was- it was pretty bananas. But yeah, I just hadn't really thought of it because it's just kind of my normal. And I think when something's your normal, you just kind of forget that to other people that's super bonkers. <laughs> so she sent me this video and I'm hoping we can share it at some point or we can get the girl to come on and talk about it. But on the top of the video, yeah, I noticed it was a Facebook group to, uh, and I, I'm not gonna say the name of the Facebook group, but it talked about um, the town you're in. Yeah. And I was like, what is all this about? And also, uh, please ignore any crinkling. The fairies sent me some snacks. Um, thank you, Rue. <laughs> I was curious I, what you I'm would do. Them. And you ate them. So this may, maybe this whole last week has been interdimensional. Okay. I should say Rue was kind enough to send me some fairy snacks via the mail. And true to form, like I had discussed on last podcast, before I even looked who they were from, knowing I had not ordered this food, it was addressed to me, I ripped into the box and was hands deep into a bag of cookies, shoveling them into my mouth before I ever even dawned on me to, like, look who they were from. You so the fairies would have gotten me. You literally sent me a picture that was like your hand in a bag while you're chewing mouthful. And you're like, thanks, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. It said that the fairies had sent them to me. And I'm like, well, crap. Now I guess I'm a fairy slave. Because once again, didn't didn't even look. But that's me. You want to you wanna get me? Food. Food is my love language, bro. 
Well, I suppose then I should talk about my snack since we're snacking yeah, while podcasting. What snack are you having? I, like I said, needed some self care today. Yeah. So I'm typically very anti. Are you a coffee drinker? No. Okay. I'm a coffee aficionado. I live on the stuff. And so I'm typically very opposed to like instant coffees or powdered coffees. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to make a cake today, and so I was going to make a flourless chocolate cake because there is still no flour to be found here. Really? But I wanted to, like, angrily bake and get some feelings out. So I was like, I'm going to make a flourless chocolate cake. And so one of my favorite flourless chocolate cake recipes has espresso powder in it. So I was like, okay. So I went to our little local market, and I got some espresso powder. That said, I then had the ingredients to make the TikTok coffee, the Dalgana coffee that has blown up since we've Is all been that quarantined. that like that thick coffee with the brown? Yes. Like creamy? Okay, yeah. I think yes. my roommate tried to make that and failed miserably. I could be wrong. Oh, I'm very here for it. I, so it's all I'm drinking, and I'm going to be pepped up until about 2 a.m. tonight, and that's fine. I'll just start editing this. You know, it'll be great. But yeah, I was like, I just, I want some fancy coffee. And since now I finally have espresso powder, because I wasn't going to buy it just for this coffee experiment in case Mm -hmm. it went like your your roommate did. But I was like, since I'm already making a cake, I guess I'll just go for it. And it gets my seal of approval. Nice. Hey, how is the dandelion wine coming, by the way? Okay, so I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast either. So I... I'm leaning into my just total wilderness, cottage in the woods, German witch life. And there were so many dandelions here a couple months ago that I spent an afternoon. We have, actually, it's really cool. We have this like natural stage nearby, which is like Mm -hmm. cut into an old, I think it's a sandstone quarry. You live in such a cool place. I really do. And so it's this, like, natural stage where they actually do, like, Shakespeare and stuff when there's not a pandemic. But this whole area was just covered in dandelions. And so I went and picked a bunch. I left plenty. So bees and everyone, I hope no one gets mad at me. Not that my town of 1600 is going to be listening to this. But anyways, I picked a whole bunch. And I started a batch of dandelion wine. My fingers looked like I have smoked for like 60 years my fingernails themselves were like yellow brown nicotine stained because you have to like pluck off the heads themselves because the leaves are really bitter Mm -hmm. so I like plucked off all the heads and then boiled it for a day with like other aromatics and now I'm trying to make dandelion wine. It has I lived to... with the tortoise that really enjoyed dandelions, and it always made me so happy to watch him munch on dandelions. Aww. I love Rest in turtles peace, and Lenny. Oh, Lenny. Yeah, Lenny Bias was his name. <laughs> Rip Lenny. But yeah. yeah, so it's got to ferment for like another four months, and it may give us botulism and kill us, so you never well, know. Well, if, if it does... Like, I'll get out a Ouija board, and we'll try to, I'll try to check in with you every once in a while. Don't get out a Ouija board. I will contact you some <laughs> other way. <laughs> I'll see you in my dreams room. There you go. I'll, <laughs> I'll knock on the walls with uh, Jim. That's that, that homies. Yeah. We're going to talk all about Jim. All Pretty, about Jim. All about Jim on a yes. future podcast. Actually, I can't that's, wait. that's the new name of this podcast. It's just all about Jim. All about Jim. Yep. Yeah. I feel like, okay, so I went and I put some laundry down in the room this morning, mm-hmm. and as I was coming up, the door opened behind me, 
Um, like it was already cracked, but it kind of just slid open in a way that's really weird. So I just stuck my head down there and I said, oh, and good morning, Jim. Because I had said good morning to the cats who I had let out of there earlier. Yeah. I was like, oh, good morning, Jim. Just uh. went back up to my room and here I am. Yeah, no, we are definitely at some point going to have to share our stories because there is for sure something that lives in my basement. Yeah, and or, I want or, you to send freaking pictures to me. Let me put it this way. I live in something's upstairs, I think. <laughs> like, it gets full domain down there. That is not my area. That is it's not your space. Nope. I live up on the third floor. It lives in the basement. It's cool. I live on the second floor. It lives in the basement. Yep. We have an agreement. Yeah. Yeah, no, so no, my, my husband, Darnell, is super excited to come on the show, and he probably wants to tell that story, which is fine, because he's I'm very so excited, excited to have it. him. Yes. Well, I suppose we should probably do the damn thing, huh? Yeah, why not? Um, so what did you bring for me today? Okay, so I have a sort of home shopping horror. <gasps> it's mostly just a murder, but there are home shopping vibes in it. You're you're definitely more the quirky, weird product gal, as we discussed last week with your infomercial background. Um, and I'm much more the, the murder snob, as it were. So no, this is a kind of home shopping murder. What's your shirt? What's, oh, it's a Harry Porter. It's a cat with a lightning bolt and some glasses. That's amazing. I saw like the face and I could not suss out what was going on. That's awesome. Harry Porter. You know, I like my puns. Who doesn't? All right. Well, uh, get ready to get sad because this one's not great. Okay. Okay. All right, so on Wednesday, April 28th, 2010, at about 9 p.m., 43-year-old James Sanders, his wife Charlene, their sons, James Jr., um, or Jimmy, who is age 14, and Chandler, age 10, were upstairs in their home in Edgewood, Washington, about 30 minutes away from Seattle, watching the new Sherlock Holmes movie, which I love, by the way, Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr., Love that one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's super, a good Sherlock Holmes. Super gold. Didn't they come out with another one recently with uh, somebody else in it? Yeah, John C. Riley. Uh, too yeah. soon. Too soon. I love John C. Riley, but it just didn't look great. I didn't see it, so I'm maybe I'm judging unfairly, but... I don't think anybody did. Yeah, I don't either, but it's all right, because now we'll never go to the theaters again. <laughs> You're really bringing me down, and you haven't even started to talk about murder yet. <laughs> I know. No, that one's, that's the saddest. We have literally a bag of, so our movie theater here is doing, like, they're bagging their popcorn and selling it at our gas station. That's what, okay, so one of the guests I'm going to have on is Adam Roberts, who owns Screenland Armor here in yes, Kansas City. He also that. has a horror podcast as well, um, but he's going to come and talk to us about some cool things in the coming weeks. But he's doing some curbside delivery stuff as well for their their concessions. 
That's just awesome. trying to stay afloat. He's yeah. got one of the last independently owned movie theaters. And it's haunted. And it's amazing. They it is, put on it's such gorgeous. great programming. It's gorgeous. Yeah, absolutely. If you're in Kansas City, once this is over. Check it out. <laughs> yes. Um, and get married upstairs. They still have the venue, right? I think so. Okay, maybe. We'll, we'll fact check that one. Anyways, so James Sanders put a 1.07 carat diamond ring up for sale on Craigslist with the asking price of $1,050. James was waiting that night for a couple to come and look at the ring, um, which they said over the phone that they wanted to buy as a Mother's Day present. So the couple arrived and James went downstairs to show it to them in the kitchen uh, they talked about the ring for a few minutes, and James called his wife Charlene down to ask her a few questions about it. So the young man asked the young woman, Amanda Knight, age 21, if she wanted the ring. She said she did, and then the man pulled a wad of cash out of his pocket and asked James, how's this? James said, that's fine. The young man then said, well, how about this? as he pulled out a semi-automatic handgun. <gasps> so the Sanders couple told the couple, that the other couple, to take whatever they wanted, and they began to panic. They were then zip-tied and put on the kitchen floor. That's when they heard two other men who'd been waiting outside come in. Two of the people went upstairs and brought their children down. Um, so Charlene recalls, I had a man come over to me with a gun in the back of my head. He began to count down as if he intended to kill her and demanded, where's the stuff, over and over. She How asked, terrifying. For real. Abs I mean, they just thought this was like, an, and this is 2010. So, I mean, it's 10 years ago. I think people were a little bit more, I don't want to say naive, but didn't believe that there were such malicious intentions with the internet. Mm. I'm going to tell you right now, anytime I've ever sold anything on like a Craigslist or a let go or anything like that i you take someone with you yep. and you meet someplace super public i recommend yes. the police department parking lot best place to exchange any sort of craigslist type thing okay pro tip all right yeah um i typically go for like a gas station in the midwest like a quick trip yeah somewhere that there's a lot of foot traffic where your screams will be heard screams will be heard probably some surveillance Yep. Um, anyways, so he demanded, where's the stuff? Over and over. She asked, what stuff? And he said, where's the safe? She remembers that at one point he kicked her in the head. So she was still screaming and she saw her children standing in front of her and just prayed that they wouldn't kill the kids or that they wouldn't kill her in front of them. Oh, it's terrible. It really is. One of the men took James out to the garage where the family safe was kept so that he could open it for them. Another one of the people forcefully removed Charlene's wedding ring from her finger. Um, so Jimmy, who is James's son from a previous relationship, age 14, saw his opportunity and took it. He jumped on one of the robbers, but was thrown off and pistol whipped. Uh, seeing his son being attacked was just too much for James, and he was then able to break free from his zip tie binding and went to um, defend his son and try and assault the man. At this yeah, point, you got some good adrenaline going yeah, there. Yeah, for real. I um, want them to get out of this so bad. I know. It's, yeah. Um, they so, don't, do they? Uh, I can see it on your face. So at this point, James was shot three times in his knee, his thigh, and his right shoulder. So that's the dad. 
One of the boys called 911 and told the dispatcher, my dad's been shot, please hurry. We don't know if they're gonna come back. Charlene held her husband as he died. She remembers saying, honey, stay with me, stay with us. Don't go, don't go. He turned white and she could see that half of his ear had been shot off. She thought that maybe he was just in shock until it became evident that he was dead. The four suspects fled the scene successfully. They were featured on the TV show America's Most Wanted after being identified by traced emails between Sanders and the people he believed were coming to purchase the ring. These suspects were also linked with another Craigslist robbery in Lake Stevens, Washington, about an hour away from Edgewood, where the family lived. And Knight, the woman, is allegedly seen on video pawning items from that robbery. So the Sanders ring was identified at a pawn shop 12 hours away in San Francisco. So Joshua Reese, age 20, Kiyoshi Higashi, age 22, Amanda Knight, age 21, were all apprehended in San Francisco after being found driving without a license plate as well as having a gun. One suspect was still believed to be on the loose. Amanda Knight paid her bail and was released, but she later surrendered. Clabin Bernard, uh, age 23, surrendered in Washington state. So all suspects were charged with one count of first-degree murder. So first-degree is unlawful killing with some type of premeditation. So it's not a heat of the moment, but it's also not a super planned out, but it's like you probably went there knowing that not everyone was going to live. Yeah. Two counts of robbery, two counts of assault, and one count of burglary. The four suspects were held on two million bail. Charlene was in court for Knight's appearance and called it a nightmare, remembering that she started to shake when seeing her for the first time, thinking these are the people that took my husband from me. Later at the trial, Jimmy testified, he was shot, he just fell unconscious to the ground, then someone said, we're making too much noise, and they all left. Chandler, the 10-year-old, got choked up on the stand when testifying that the robbers called his mom, quote, the B word, which is just so sad to me, this little 10-year-old boy, while pointing a gun at her head. Then I heard gunshots, he said, which is just heartbreaking that he has to have that memory. Yeah. Um, well, that they all do, but God, to be 10 and watch your dad. Do that. Yeah. Um, so the suspects wept in court and they all entered not guilty pleas. But in 2011, all four were convicted of numerous crimes, including first degree murder. They would all then receive between 71 and 124-year sentences. So they believed that Kiyoshi Higashi was the trigger man, and he received a 124-year sentence. His father, Alan, expressed deep remorse for the events and actually attended a memorial service for James. Alan would go on to say in a public statement, I know Kiyoshi. He made a big mistake. And Jim Sanders, he was a good guy. He didn't deserve to die. And I just want to give my sympathetic apology. And I wish this had never happened. Alan doesn't believe that Kiyoshi pulled the trigger because um, actually Kiyoshi had told his sister that he was in the garage and came back to the kitchen and saw that Sanders was dead. They believed that Bernard was the trigger man. But I mean, it's, it's all hearsay at this point. So in 2015, five years after the crime, there was a retrial for Flabon. And I believe I'm saying this right. It's C-L-A-B-O-N. I may not be saying that accurately. I watched a video and that's how they said it. Um, for Flabon Bernard, who maintained that he was not at the scene or involved in the crimes. Deputy Prosecutor Greg Greer told the jurors that he had evidence to show that it was Bernard who held the gun to Charlene's head and pistol whipped Jimmy. She actually remembers him as being, quote, the mean one during the night of the incident. 
The evidence that was presented at the retrial were statements from Knight and Reese, some of the other people who were convicted, and a voice ID by Charlene from a news clip from when Bernard was interviewed after having saved two people from a burning building, which is like such a plot twist how you go from saving people like Spider-Man style to then taking someone's life. Exactly. Yeah. So Bernard's attorney maintains that he was not there. At the original trial, Bernard, in addition to Higashi, was also sentenced for 124 years. So the Court of Appeals overturned his convictions because the judge in the original case violated his Sixth Amendment rights, which is the right to a fair and speedy trial, by allowing statements from co-defendants which implicated him in the crime. So essentially with that amendment right, if someone is essentially implicating you, you have the right to like be face to face with them. But because they were recorded statements, I guess they were technically not admissible in court. I don't pretend to be a lawyer. That's just what the internet told me, (laughs) to quote Childish Gambino, because the internet. So there was a deal discussed to potentially seriously lessen Reese and Knight's sentences in exchange for their cooperation in the retrial. Knight, who was sentenced to 72 years, would only serve 30, and Reese, sentenced to 100 years, would serve 18 to 20 in an out-of-state facility. So Bernard's conviction was overturned, but he was once again found guilty of first-degree murder, first-degree robbery, and second-degree assault. He was then sentenced to 97 years. So 30 years less, but for someone who's in their 20s is still essentially a a life sentence. So Craigslist users assume risk when using the site, but since the murder of James Sanders took place just a year after Philip Markoff, the Craigslist killer, his string of murders, there was new concern about the safety of the site. People were really starting to wonder if Craigslist was actually safe to use. Additional safety warnings were posted, but the site maintains that violent acts are rare. So I didn't know this, but Craigslist was started in 1995 before Google, I didn't know that either. As a way to spread information about events local to the San Francisco Bay Area, in 1996 they expanded to classified categories and then in 2000 expanded to other cities and eventually other countries. What a fun fact! Right! Uh, So Detective Ed Troyer, the investigator on Sanders' case, said, if you have something nice, somebody's going to figure out a way to take it from you. Craigslist is a tool to do that. Charlene has been pretty public in the aftermath of her husband's murder and gave several interviews where she stated that she forgives the people who killed James. In an interview with Meredith Vera, she stated that he sold different things on Craigslist and that he seemed to trust the site. She said, our whole life has been ripped apart. We're just trying to put it together as best we can. It's hard. James's brother Derek said of him, he's an example of a real man, a family man, a husband, and a father. He's the type of guy a lot of people should aspire to be like. Jimmy said, I will become the man my dad wanted me to be. In time, I will forgive these evil people that robbed my dad from me. Charlene said, my husband was a hero. He always said he will protect his family. He always told the boys that he will always protect his family, and he died protecting his family. So that is the story of James Sanders. And just another warning of why it's so important to be careful when you're buying from so anybody. Important. Yeah, and I think I think we know a little bit more of how to keep ourselves safe now. And I think it's unfortunately because of how many of these stories there are, you know, I think that it's a little bit more of a common thing to protect yourself on internet transactions 
Um, I think like the Facebook marketplace was huge for that because it's at least one step to vet people. Obviously you can still get scammed, but you can at least put a face to, okay, what's, who am I actually talking to? Well, potentially, you never know if someone's made it. Oh, for sure. Facebook. So you just have to use caution all around these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. But really tragic. Um, I hope that his family is doing okay. So his boys are grown up now. And I hope that they have just as best lives as possible. Yeah, definitely. So I do really quickly just want to say my sources were today, The Olympian, CBS, The News Tribune, Como News, and ABC News. There was a lot of information on there. I probably could have gone even deeper, but. Um, I'll post my sources to the Facebook cool. group. Cool. I guess. Hopefully yours isn't super sad. I mean. Okay. Well, let's see. Okay. <laughs> Woo. All right. So today I am going to do our very first dastardly discovery. Tune in now for this week's Dastardly Discoveries! <laughs> now, I know I've talked on here about how I want to cover things that other podcasts haven't, and I'm sure somebody has done this one already, and that's okay. I just felt like I would be extremely remiss not to do one of my all-time ancient dastardly discoveries so today we're going to be talking about ramses the third and his mummy oh yeah yeah super stoked so let me take you back three thousand years ago a priest called pinjim discovered that robbers were raiding tombs in the valley of the kings where many of egypt's pharaohs and incredibly wealthy were buried now the tomb raiders weren't just taking the treasures that were buried alongside the pharaohs but the bodies as well Now, this was desecration, which prevented the pharaohs from experiencing a rich afterlife. So, Pinjim forms a secret mention. Can you hear the just the goddess Bast? It's fine. You're talking about Egypt. Cats are to be expected. There's so many in the room right now. It adds to like the ambiance, honestly. Just the screaming cat. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) Okay, so Pinjim forms the secret mention in the middle of the night to move the remaining tombs and their bodies and treasures to a new location and stashed them deep within a shaft where they lied undisturbed for close to 300 years. Until strange items start to pop up for sales on the antiquities market in Luxor, Egypt, including valuable riches belonging to some of Egypt's most powerful pharaohs. But nobody knew where they were coming from. So in the spring of 1881, local authorities discovered that they were being sold by a local farmer named Abdal Basul who was immediately taken in for questioning and some excruciating torture. Now, under torture, he agreed to take authorities to the source of the treasures, and at the time, the location he took them to had been entirely unexplored. He led them to a narrow shaft in the cliff base, now known by archaeologists as TT320. Abdal claimed that one of his goats had fallen into the shaft, and he had scrambled down to rescue it. When investigators lowered themselves into the shaft 30 meters deep, They were in shock to find over 40 mummies, including pharaohs, queens, and members of the royal family, plus unimaginable gold statues, idols, furniture, and riches. Basically, anything that was left in these tombs that our boy uh, Pendulum raided was discovered in this shaft. So, 
Now, one of the mummies that was discovered there is very interesting, and it later was discovered he was Ramses III. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about him in just a second and why his mummy was particularly interesting to archaeologists. But I feel like it would be an oversight for me not to mention his reign a little bit. Now, I am going to butcher these names. And I know that going into this. So please don't send emails. I know this is terrible, but, you know, try to do it better yourself, I guess. So Ramses III was born as Usurmatre Mitraum Ramses III. He was the second pharaoh of the 12th dynasty in ancient Egypt, and he is thought to have reigned from about uh, 1186 to 1155 BC. He's considered to be the last greatest monarch of the New Kingdom, and the only one to have wielded any substantial authority over Egypt at this time. Now, Ramses was known as a great warrior pharaoh. In fact, he led the way in defeating invaders then known as the Sea People, who had caused massive destruction in other civilizations and empires. He was even able to save Egypt from collapsing at the time, when many other empires fell during the Late Bronze Age. However, the damage of the invasions really took a toll on his reign in Egypt, and just drained and depleted the treasuries. Now, this is where things get a little bit interesting. Now, Ramses is believed to have reigned from March 1186 to April 1155 BC, and this is based on his known assassination date. And yes, I did say assassination date. Let me jump back to the discovery of his mummy, amongst those 40 other mummies found in TT-230. That sounds like a Terminator, by the way. Like, every time you say that. Oh, it's TT-320. Okay, either way. Still sounds like a Terminator. So, Ramses III mummy was incredibly preserved. In fact, it's one that many people have used as a prototype in Hollywood and in novels. Wow. It is that well preserved. But he had some really thick linen bandages around his throat. So this led people to believe that eh, maybe he had passed away of some natural causes or nobody really knew. They just thought it was part of his wrappings until about 2012 when ancient Egyptologist and one of my personal heroes, Zahi Hawass, and a Cairo University radiologist named Sahar Salim scammed Ramses III's mummy in a CT scan and revealed that an assassin had cut through his esophagus and trachea, killing him almost instantly. Damn. The scans went on to show that Ramses III had one of his big toes completely hacked off, and it was a wound that never had time to heal, meaning it likely mm. happened at the around the same time that his throat was slit. Yeah. But what's really interesting is the site of the foot injury is anatomically far away from the neck wound, mm -hmm. and also the shape of the fractured toe bones indicated that it was caused by a completely different weapon than the one that had been used to cut his neck. So there had to have been more than one assailant, one with what they assume would be an axe or sword attacking the pharaoh from the front, and another with possibly a knife or a dagger attacking the pharaoh from his back, both at the same time. Now, while the assassins who wielded the weapons will probably be never identified, an ancient document titled The Judicial Papyrus of Turin details a plot to assassinate Ramses around this time, and that plot has later become known as the Harem Conspiracy. What? That's right. Let's talk about an ancient conspiracy to overthrow a ruler. <laughs> let's. 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 I just, I'm, oh man, dude. I'm struggling today. Let's talk about an ancient.
ancient conspiracy to overthrow one of Egypt's greatest pharaohs by none other than his own wife. So the royal harem conspiracy took place during the celebration at Medehabu. The conspiracy was investigated by one of Ramses III's wives, Tai. Now, he had three really well-known wives at the time, so the other ones being Taiti and Aset Tahidjibert, which we're just going to call Aset at this point. Okay. So now, did I he have, said, sorry, did he have other wives? Because he said those oh, were like the yes. big three. Okay. Oh, definitely. Now, ancient Egyptian marriage for pharaohs were really interesting because they could be married to several, several women. A lot of these pharaohs are reported to even have upwards of 100 to 500 wives. Yo, I'm a straight woman, and I can tell you that's too many wives. That's a lot. And it was the pharaoh's personal duty to make sure that each one of his wives had a son or a child. That was his goal, thus ensuring his future dynasty. That being said, there would often be favorite wives or wives that were more well-known among his reign. And one of those wives for him was Taiti. So Taiti's son, Ramses, who later became known as Ramses IV, was the eldest and the successor chosen by Ramses III in preference to Taiyi's son, Prince Wari. Now, the trial documents show that many individuals were implicated in this plot to assassinate Ramses. Chief among them were Queen Taiyi and her son, Prince Wari, and Ramses' chief of the chamber, whose name I'm not even going to begin to try to pronounce. Now, there were also seven royal butlers, a respectable state officer, two treasury overseers, two army standard bearers, two royal scribes, and a herald. There's little doubt that any of the main conspirators were executed. Some of them were even condemned to death and had the option of either committing suicide by poisoning rather than being put to death forcefully. Which, I guess it's nice to have options. But at the same time... At the same time, um, we're not entirely sure that all of these people were actually guilty. Sounds like our court systems today. Right. So, according to the surviving trial transcripts, a total of three separate trials were started. And while 38 people were sentenced to death, the tombs of Taiyi and her son, Prince Wari, were robbed and their names were erased to prevent them from enjoying the afterlife. Oh, wow. In fact, the Egyptians did such a thorough and amazing job of erasing their names from the afterlife that the only reference we have to them during the trial are the documents itself that remain in their tombs. Mm. Now, some of the accused were even harem members who tried to seduce members of the judiciary who tried them, but they were caught in the act, and the judges did not look very kindly on that. Now, the ones that were seduced were severely punished. Here's where it gets a little weirder, because we're not entirely sure historically if this assassination plot succeeded or if it failed. And although it was long believed that Ramses III's body showed no obvious wounds, in that scan, they discovered his throat had been slit. And the reason we didn't know that was because Ramses III just kind of conveniently disappears from the written record around that time. Hmm. And so while the so-called harem conspiracy ideally successfully killed Ramses, it isn't really confirmed until the toe injury in his slit throat is discovered. Oh, hold for a blender. I was like, what the hell is that? It's Jim making a smoothie. It sounds so weird over the Zoom call. As like, soon as he stops, I'll go on. I was like, oh, your kitties have stopped. Yeah, they took a nap. Okay. Nope. Is it blended yet? Nope. So while we're waiting for Blender, yeah. fun fact, since you had your cat going off during your Egypt story, uh-huh. do you know the Egyptian word for cat? 
Yes, I do. It's, um, oh dear God, give me a second. Okay, go ahead and tell me. Mao. Mao, yes, because M-A-U. the Egyptian Mao is yep. one of the very first cat breeds, and they named it basically after what they said. Yeah, no. Mao. I just, I love the idea that some dude was like, holy shit, what are you? And the cat's like, Mao. And he's like, oh, okay, that checks out. It's a Mao. It's a Mao, obviously. Cats are actually the first animal in recorded history to domesticate themselves. They no. basically just moved in with us and started eating our food and killing mice. They domesticated us. They're like, oh no, human, you will provide for me. Exactly. Like, they yeah, just kind of moved in and we're like, all right. Hell sure, yeah, I'll provide for you, cool. cat. You'll keep mice away. Keep right? them from eating my grain. You'll purr and keep my feet warm. That sounds great. Perfect. All right, here we go. But we weren't entirely sure if the harem plot had assassinated Ramses III, because conveniently at that time, he kind of just disappears from the historical record, even though Trials says that he survived. Now, the embalmers didn't want this royal squabble to kind of follow him into the afterlife, so they attempted to hide Ramses' wounds on the mummy by performing a little post-mortem cosmetic surgery, even. They fashioned a fake toe out of linen, and they covered it in heavy layers of resin. And then they placed prosthetics, prosthetic-like objects made of linen in place of the amputated toe. They then put six amulets around the both the feet and the ankles for ideally magical healing of the wound in the air, afterlife, so he could grow his toe back in the afterlife. Well, yeah, because your big toe, that affects balance, like, substantially. You can pretty much get away without your other toes, but those ones, they matter. Yeah, some of the other cosmetic surgery type things they did is they put linens and some different materials underneath his skin to cause his face to appear plumper. Mm. And they put large amounts of resin to glue the layers of linen wrappings to the body and the feet. Not only during the mummification process, but they kind of did that to disguise the wounds even more than normal. So the scans that they later did also revealed that the materials were stuffed under all sorts of his skins to make him plump and attractive for when he was going to meet Osiris, and they just did a little nip and a tuck here and there. On that, That's pretty atypical, right? No! Surprisingly, oh. it's not. Okay. Um, post-mortem cosmetic surgery was done by the ancient Egyptian embalmers for many of the pharaohs and the wealthy, including T- King Tut. Okay. Or cool. Tutankhamun. Yeah, I'm super into, like, modern post-mortem makeup, but I had no idea that they did that. Like, I knew that they would do, you know, some kind of stuff, but I didn't know about the putting the linen under the skin. Yeah, that was kind of a first for me to find as well, which was really interesting because I've been researching Egyptology for years Mm -hmm. and years, and that's the first time I ever stumbled across a little blurb that had even mentioned that. Yeah, I'd never, like, I knew that they would try and make them, you know, more beautiful or more vigorous looking, but... I didn't realize that it went to that extent. Yeah. So if you want to go and see Ramses III when everything lifts, his body is now on display at the Egyptian Museum in Cairo, along with the other mummies that were discovered in Shaft TT320, including, and I thought this was really cool, the very priest who had all of the mummies moved to that shaft. Oh, cool. What was his? Pe- ping- penguin? No, that's not it. Pinjim. Pinj- I was close. Pinjim. He's not a Batman villain. No. No, that's and really cool. I've got some mad respect for Pinjim for Hell saving yeah. this history and preserving uh, the souls of these great pharaohs in, yeah. in their religion. What a but dude. But that's not the only mummy 
that you might find of interest okay. there because just a few feet away from Ramses the Third lays Prince Pinsuari, the son who oh, okay. conspired to replace him. And he is now known as the Screaming Mummy, whose body is wrapped in a crude sheepskin instead of traditional linen. Archaeologists believe that he was brutally hanged, and they sit just a few feet from each other. The father who ruled the kingdom and the son who conspired to overthrow him in what Ooh. is known, known as the harem conspiracy. Et tu, Brute. Et tu, Ramses Third. Yes. <laughs> Fourth. Et tu, Ramses Fourth. Oh man, that's wild. so screaming mummy. Does does he have any like? Why do they call him that? Well, his face is very distorted and appears as though he is screaming when he died. But due to composition and just the way mummification can dehydrate skin, sometimes yeah. the lips will go back more. So it's not known if he was screaming when he died, but it's believed he is just because of the way he was kind of crudely embalmed compared Dang. to the other mummies and of someone of his stature. All right. So whether or not the harem conspiracy, you know, prevailed, I'll leave that up to you guys. But most archaeologists walk away with the assumption that it did because, I mean, you know, the body reveals what the body will reveal. Yeah. And that's just pure evidence. Hmm. Dang. That was good. Thank you. Yeah. I stumbled there a couple times. I had some hard names. I tried to look them all up in pronunciation, but a lot of them, they don't really tell you how to pronounce them anywhere. So I'm kind of just. Yo, I feel vindicated after last week speaking Gaelic and Proto-Germanic, Nordic, and yeah. So I was like, you get to stumble this week. Once upon a time, a very, very long time ago, I taught myself how to read, um, how to... (laughs) Oh my god, I just blanked on what it's called, but basically, ancient Egyptian. Hieroglyphics, yes. A very long time ago, I kind of knew how to read hieroglyphics, and I was okay at it, but I didn't speak ancient Egyptian, so my pronunciation was just crap, and I gave up. Man, we were bored little nerds. Yeah, I have always loved ancient Egypt, so on Dastard and Discoveries, just know that you're going to get a couple a couple ancient Egyptian things thrown in there, maybe more than other civilizations. So, I'm so down. My grandmother was so into ancient Egypt. Oh, really? What year was she born? I think in the 30s? Hold on. I've Okay, so quarantine is bringing out weird shit in all of us. Truth. And I have kind of gotten into, like, looking up my family genealogy. Oh, I did it. I did that the two weeks that I was actually stuck in the house quarantining. I did a whole chart. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Well, I oh. asked about that because in the 20s there was a huge boom in ancient Egyptian fanfare, and there was a huge drive to discover archaeology from there, and... Yeah. And it became classically entranced in with the Art Nouveau decor scene, so. 1927. So she was probably raised up around that. No, I... Yeah. So when the mummy exhibit came through Kansas City... Mm-hmm. They did like the ancient mummies. It was a traveling thing. I got to go to it actually twice. Um, and I learned some really cool stuff about mummies. They had some mummies, which was super cool, but I didn't realize. So, in like the spirit, I'm going to fuck this up. 
what was the uh like seances that was mm-hmm. spiritism spiritual spiritualism like, yeah spiritualism the spiritualism movement yeah apparently like rich people would just buy mummies oh yeah and display them and like mummy powder was used both in like rituals but also in medicine so crazy there was actually even a mummy that went down with the titanic oh okay around that time because there was such an insurgence of british and even some american archaeologists and i say that vaguely because at the time it wasn't much of a science as much as it was treasure hunting yeah and they would go over to egypt and go to luxor and cairo and they would explore these sites and they basically plundered a lot of egypt's great history Mm -hmm. um mummies were sold on the side of the streets by farmers and uh, merchants who had just dug them up they were chopped up and made into firewood mummy powders all sorts of potions for the hair and skin and i just think of how much history was lost because it was a fad at that time yeah well and I'm not a particularly religious person, like I've said in the past, but I still think that that's some bad vibes, bro. Like, those are people. Right. Like, I mean, you know, I don't know how much it matters what's done with your body, because you're not using it anymore. But you you still hope that you're not turned into firewood a thousand years later. Yeah, I would definitely hope that that wasn't the case. Because it's just just such trash i mean Definitely. you're you're buried and you know you have the closure in a sense yeah but not, and embalming know. and mummification is such a ritualistic thing to then just have it undone and be sold on the side of the road it's such they a tampering were, ancient egyptians were a culture that vastly believed that in the afterlife as long as your body was preserved properly and you had the items you needed that you would go on forever And the way that they believed that you would go on forever to live a rich, rich afterlife was basically if your name was remembered. So a lot of these names have just been struck from history. We talk Mm -hmm. about how uh, Prince Parwe, or whoever I just said, we talk about how his history was struck for a long time, and they removed his names except for the trial documents. He is remembered only for what he did in that one moment for the rest of eternity. Yeah. They tried to t- strike Queen Nefertiti, who's actually even a pharaoh. Anyway, they tried to strike her name from history. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in telling these stories and in mentioning their names, no matter how badly I butcher them, I'm doing what I can to preserve their history and their legacy. Yeah, absolutely. I've always thought that immortality personally lies with remembrance, whether it be a friend or family member you've lost, whether it be a historical figure, as long as we talk about them and keep their memory alive, then in a way they'll always be immortal. I'm going to go watch Coco now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, have you seen Coco? I have. I didn't mean to go on a whole tangent there. No, but but that's like a huge part of it. And it always makes me think of the, the ancestors that as they get forgotten, they like start to disappear from the spirit world and how... You have to remember them. And then you sing Required to May as a cute little 10-year-old boy. <laughs> but no, I absolutely agree with you. I think that there's a lot to be said for just the honor that comes in memory. Yeah. And, Definitely. you know, especially when you have kind of a dark memory, like with the prince, the one that got yeeted, the hanging, the screamy mummy. Yeah, Ramses the Fourth. Oh, that was? I thought that yeah. was... Cons- prince... 
Paiwari, which is awesome. Oh, no, 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 you're right. Okay. I'm sorry. I was no, getting good. Prince Paiwari mixed up with Ramses IV, who later goes on to rule. Yeah, yeah, yes. no, I was talking about the, the one that was screaming. Yeah, like, Prince Paiwari. a horrible way to be remembered. Yes. But. You know, and then we think, I like to think about the incredible moment when hieroglyphics of the whole was broken open for us because we didn't know how to read it we knew there were pictures yeah. until the rosetta stone came along and the very right. first word that they discovered what it was on the rosetta stone and hieroglyphics was the pharaoh's name ptolemy mm. and what an amazing moment for that name not to have been heard of for thousands of years and now it's uttered again and yeah and all of a sudden this great pharaoh is immortalized once more because now we know how to read his name you know, Queen Cleopatra even was a descendant of the Ptolemaean dynasty. And Ptolemy is really interesting because he was actually Greek and put in place by, I believe it was Alexander the Great after he had raided and taken over Egypt. So Cleopatra, though she was queen of Egypt, was very much Greek. Yeah. Well, and she hung out with the Romans a lot. Yeah. Yeah, her and the Romans got down. Yeah, frequently. Yeah, no, I, but yeah, no, Egypt is just fascinating to me, and, like, the Egyptian religion is super cool, their gods are so interesting to me, because they're so practical. We'll have to do another deep dive on maybe mythology of ancient Egypt, yeah. I've been trying to learn a lot more about that side of it, and yeah, I so far I'm all about the discoveries. Oh yeah, for a minute I wanted to be an art history major. Really? Okay, yes. cool. I read a lot of Dan Brown. Um, Robert Langdon was one of my idols, Tom Hanks, forever. Um, but also, like, National Treasure. Growing up on that media, and I played all the Tomb Raider games, but just that idea that history could be unearthed and mean something more than just cool stuff in a museum fascinated me. And so I was like, I'm going to be an art historian. And then I realized that was even less tangible or lucrative than theater and I was like giving up on this dream forever but I remember distinctly in the first semester of my art history survey class blowing the top off ancient Egypt and I was just like I need to know everything about this okay so I own some ancient Egyptian mummy beads and next time you're over I'll let you hold them they're over 2,000 years old and they were often found buried along mummies in gigantic clay jars they okay. were kind of a currency in the afterlife yeah, but yeah, yeah. most mummies were buried with thousands upon thousands of these so they're not hard to get but every once in a while i like to pour them into my hand and look at them and i like to think you know our moments here as humans are so brief and so fleeting you really just have to make the most out of your life yeah because think of everyone who's come before you mm-hmm. most of us probably won't be remembered so you've got to yeah. leave a legacy where you can Yep, we just get a glimmer. So this is supposedly, and I guess our message for today is leave a legacy and make a change. And also, enjoy it while you have it. And your anxiety probably doesn't mean that much, because you're only around for a glimmer, so you can't screw up that badly. And if you're having trouble reminding yourself of that, get some mummy beads off of eBay. All good. There you go. So should we do a plug so far people can find us? Yes, of course, and then you can switch yeah, that I'll, around however yeah. much you need. Oh, that's kind of cool. We had a whole little... Yeah, we had a moment. 
we had a thing. Yeah, I, I like that. That felt good. Okay, that did feel good. Uh, please, please edit up my whole... Girl, I will hook you up. Yeah, I had the best handwritten notes, and I left them at KU Med in my locker, and I'm like, oh, shit! So I'm just uh, copy-pasting off of websites and being like, what yeah. the fuck? Okay. <laughs> Watching a documentary that I took notes on, and I'm like, is this, how do you pronounce his name? <laughs> <laughs> that was me last week trying to do my freaking fairies. I was like, how the fuck do you, this is Gaelic. I don't know what I'm doing. Look at this Mao. Aw, hi, Mao. Hi, Mal. Rocket's the unofficial lap mascot. He's just always here. Love when it. I'm talking. Okay, right. so let's do our pugs. Yes. Um, let's go over them real quick so we know. Supposedly pod on Twitter, supposedly pod at gmail.com, and then supposedly on Facebook. Yes. Cool. Okay. So which ones do you want to do? Twitter. I'll do Twitter and Gmail, and you do Facebook. Cool. Because we usually do it the other way. Yeah. Okay, so you can find us on Twitter at supposedly pod. And at gmail, at supposedlypod at gmail.com. We would love to hear some feedback from you. Tell us what you want us to cover. Please give us a like. Rate us five stars so you can help other people find us. And we would love to hear your own personal paranormal stories. You know, it doesn't have to be paranormal. And if you're on Facebook, reach out to us on Supposedly. All right. Thanks for joining us. And catch us again on Supposedly. Supposedly. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, go do some creepy shit. (laughs) Uh, Can you hear the actual like live rounds going off behind me? No, I can't. Oh, that's good. Yay! Thanks for joining us on. Supposedly. Supposedly. Did we do it closer? (laughs) I don't know.